Israel. The marked off people of God. The promise made to Abraham that from his line would come nations, descendants, generations. But memory swiftly forgets. The people of God, under the lash of Pharaoh, enslaved in Egypt, lost their identity in God's mercy. One was raised who would go to rescue. Through plague and famine, Pharaoh relented and sent the people of God with their Redeemer, only to regret his decision to chase them and find the sea closing its mouth around them. For 40 years in a desert they wandered, grumbling against God, indignant of their rescuer, and doubtful of his goodness. To the promised land they were going. Moses wouldn't see it. They would be led in. They would forget again. They had judges raised up to bring them back into order. They wanted just to be like the other nations. So small and insignificant they were. And how far their hearts wandered. Prophets would come and call them back. Armies would come and siege them and they would run back. But they would forget again. And then, silence. 400 years without a prophecy, without a declaration, without a single utterance from heaven until a babe long foretold by the prophet Isaiah 
born in humility to take on our humiliation. That night in the upper room, just after they had finished eating and Jesus had finished washing them. Luke reminds us that a dispute had broken out among them. What were they disputing, you might wonder? They were disputing. When the conquest of the kingdom occurs, who's going to be the greatest? Oh, Israel. So quickly you forget. That the way of the kingdom comes not through conquest, but through sadness. It seems paradoxical, doesn't it? It's not the happy message of salvation that we preach. And yet we see over and over and over again that the kingdom comes not through the conquest of might and power, but it comes through the victory achieved through sadness. There's a part of Peter's denial that stuck out to me this week. Jesus looks at him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. How does God use sadness to bring about salvation? What Peter didn't know, what he would only Peter experience, is that the way of the kingdom is to be brought to the end of yourself. The way of the kingdom is not through the conquest of sword and might. The way of the kingdom, as Jesus would lead for it, is to go through death. To come to the end of yourself. To find that you have nothing. Somehow, we forget. Sadness is seen as a defect. Jesus came to rescue us from our sadness. but it doesn't necessarily mean that the rescue is by making the sadness go away. It may mean that part of the sadness comes as we continue to find ourselves undone. 
as we continue to come to the end of ourselves. The good news is that we see the lengths that Jesus is going to go to make sure that sadness doesn't have the final word. He told Peter, when you come around again, when you come to your senses, when you turn again, use that pain and encourage your brothers. Your sadness is a gift. When you come to the end of yourself, it's a gift. Because you've experienced the salvation that comes because Jesus did battle for your soul. He wouldn't let Satan sift Peter like wheat. He did battle for his soul so that he might not have the last word Jesus would. When the women gathered there at the cross that day saw the Son of God, their brother, their friend, their son, their savior, bleed and die, sadness looked as if it ruled the day. But Jesus, Jesus assured that all sad things would be made untrue. Because he would taste death so that we would have life. When Jesus said, it is finished, Jesus meant it. It is finished. You will not ever know the depth that you have been loved because you are still forgetful just like Israel and just like me. But Jesus did battle for you so that even though in this world you may have trouble, that trouble doesn't topple you it doesn't destroy you and it doesn't define you. Instead, that trouble is a gift because it points you more deeply and fully to your most essential longing, which is Jesus. That trouble is never meant to topple you and destroy you, and yet sometimes we forget. And we think that this world holds out an olive branch that it can never deliver on. On the day of resurrection... The angel stood in the empty tomb. Tell the others. And especially Peter. Do you know the way that you've been loved? Do you know that your tears don't go unanswered? Do you know that your pain does not get wasted? Do you know that this world doesn't hold the final verdict over your life? Pilate said, I have the authority. And Jesus said, no, you don't. 
you do exactly what you're permitted to do, exactly when it's permitted to happen. Look upon that cross. The crown of thorns so that you might have a crown of righteousness. A bloodied purple robe meant to mock the throne. And instead, you get a robe, a raiment of glory. The gasping Savior pours out ruach, breath, life, spirit to you. Sadness doesn't have the final answer. Salvation does. Because Jesus loved you enough to ransom you as his own. Forgetful, feeble, frail, you and me. Don't forget that. You're his. Look at what he did to call you his own. Father, the cross. The cross is our only glory. Our sinful selves, our only shame. As McShane reminds us, for every one look at yourself, gaze ten upon Christ. Would we see this night that man, his blood and perfection, sorrow and love joined, mingled down, so that even in our darkest days, there would be light and life that is assured to come. Jesus, help us to live worthily of the price you paid for us. Amen.